So we're uh, continuing this just reading through the Bible plan, the chronological reading plan. Uh, last week we were, we did, we did a lot of Exodus. Um, so we're kind of, again, p- uh, just a tiny refresher. We're picking something out of the reading from the previous week and, and, and teaching on it at YoPro. And so uh, kind of coming off of what Noah taught on last week, Last week, Noah uh, kind of took, he kind of pulled a thread through Genesis to the, uh, to the Passover, um, you know, right as, as the people of Israel are, are, are exodusing from Egypt. And so he started with Genesis 3.15 with the first Messianic prophecy and then, and then connected that to the Passover, pointing to Jesus, which is pointing to Jesus, who would fulfill Genesis 3.15. Um, the Passover, just a quick recap, this is straight from his notes. There was a sacrifice per house, blood on the doorpost and the post over the door, and that blood saved from death when the angel of the Lord would pass over and kill the firstborn in every house. So in this blood covering marked how Jesus would be pierced, and this, so this is all pointing to Jesus, the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent, as it says in Genesis 3:15, um, that has crushed the head of that has crushed the head of the serpent. Now, so um, I'm t- I'm calling this this the title of this teaching, detoxing from Egypt into the wilderness rehab program. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I don't think we think about it like that a lot, but uh, but as I was I had kind of had honed in on one spot that I just couldn't shake. Um, one little little piece of, of the story, and, uh, and I was like, that's kind of what they're doing, because like, they kind of picked up a lot of baggage in Egypt, I think, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit, and some things that I think that God focuses on when he starts to give the law, because um, now we're getting into the law, but anyways, it's all a jumble in there, but we're going we're gonna to try to lay it out. So, upon, exit, upon the exit of Egypt, the focus kind of goes from the plagues and the Passover into like now consecration, like God is consecrating his people. He's calling them to holiness. And so, and then we go right into the tabernacle and it's like so much of the tabernacle, which we're not going to touch on tonight, but it's, it's, that's, that's for another time. Um, but if you, we all read it, uh, it's just so much. He commissions the, the building of the tabernacle to some very, very fine details. Um, and the tabernacle would be a place where his presence would dwell among his people, because that's what he wants, is he wants to dwell with us. And so, so anyways, this is detoxing from Egypt. So we're going to, if you want to open your Bibles to Exodus 20, that's, that's where we're going to take this passage. And we will, let's stand, and we'll read, uh, we'll read a few verses from Exodus 20. Starting with the first verse, um, to verse 6. So this is the first part of the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, which, uh, by the way, like, to prelude this, like, God is, is, like, speaking these words. Like, the people of Israel are, like, like 600,000 people, and they can hear this, like, coming from the mountain. Freaky. But uh, I never thought about that as a kid, but this is, that's what it says. Um, so verse 2, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness 
of anything that is as it is the, ah, of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth you shall not bow to them bow down to them or serve them for i the lord your god am a jealous god visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments you may be seated So, the Israelites had just spent hundreds of years in Egypt. Like, think about this. They started as just a family of 12 brothers, right? And they, but they've grown and they've prospered. They've become a nation over just a few short hundred years. A few hundred, a few, short few hundred years. And, uh, and so, there's like, I wasn't going to share this, but it's really interesting. You, you can look it up yourself, but... It says uh, in Exodus that they spent 430 years in the like in Egypt, but there's some debate on that because there's other scriptures that say the 400 years started with Abraham. And if you read Gen- Galatians 3, Paul confirms that he says that the law was given 430 years after the promise. So it's not really like it's not doctrinal or anything. It's not you know, but it's like it's not something to get caught up on. But I think after doing some research, the Israelites actually spent like about 215 years in Israel. But still, think, think about 215 years. That's hard to fathom for us. That's like a really long time. Our country, the, the United States, has only been a nation for 247 years. And just think about how much has changed. So think about how much could change in a people, in a culture, in a growing nation in, in that short of time. So Egypt did not serve the Lord Yahweh. They actually had as many as 2,000 gods that they worshipped. Um, and so, and these are all false gods. So they're like, it's a god for the sun, for this and that, and whatever, you know. So what could, you know, again, what, what could happen to a culture as you're like, you're living in a land that, you know, and you're growing up. So, we'll touch on that. So, the gods, when God's first giving the law, why is his emphasis so he hits so hard on idols, like first thing, you know, and I, and I was like, well, I think it's, you know, I think that they had some really bad examples of worship in, in Egypt. And so they're carrying those in and God's now, he's consecrating his people. So he wants to, so he's just hammering on this idol thing. So before the Exodus, if we back it up to Exodus 2, verse 23 um, to 24, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I don't think that Israel had entirely forgotten where they came from and their roots. Um, But the scripture doesn't specify that they cried out to the Lord. It just says that they cried out for help. So you'd think, you'd think with their heritage and the promises and if everything was, if they were carrying that on, they would just cry out directly to God. And they would also remember that, they would, that, Jake, that Joseph said, you know, before he died, that God would deliver them. And that was promised. But it specifies they didn't cry out to the Lord their God in, scriptures, in Scripture. And in the burning bush scene, 
when Moses is called by God, Moses says, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And again, like Moses is kind of indicating that the people aren't really familiar with God anymore, in a sense. Because he's, he kind of challenges them. He's like, what do we, you know, what do we, what do we call you? And uh, so the people, I think that the people, people of Israel had become corrupted by the influence of Egypt. And, and I, think, I think some of these, the promises and everything had kind of become family culture, like folklore, in a sense, rather than reality as they were to the patriarchs who were being spoken to directly and carrying the promises. Um, but God's going to call them out of it, and it's going to be all good. So, in come the plagues, with Exodus, Exodus 12, 12b, and it says in the scriptures, all, On all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So God sends the plagues on, the, on Egypt, in part to show the Israelites and the Egyptians who was boss, that he was the one true God, the I am who was and is to come. So it's, it was kind of dual, I think it was dual purpose. It was like the Egyptians needed to know, I mean, Pharaoh needed to know that, you know, his gods were worthless, basically, and the Lord was, was God. But the Israelites also needed a huge reminder. That's why they, if I'm not mistaken, they had to experience the first three plagues that God sent, as well, as well as on the Egyptians, and the rest of them, I don't think they... They didn't experience them. So, back to Exodus verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Um, my Bible has a footnote here on before, and it says, or besides. So, whereas the Egyptians worshipped many gods, the Lord was sufficient and far over and above all those little, go- all those little gods. And so, he's, trying to, he's communicating, you don't need any other god. I am suitable. And also, you know, we'll get, on, we'll get on to something else there. But So, just more on this. Later on, Joshua refers to Israel, Israel's worship of the gods in Egypt in Joshua 24, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. He says, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Just confirming that, like, yeah, they kind of like Worship Egypt's gods. Um, yeah, we don't need to read the rest of that, actually. So I think I've, I think I've made my point there. They, they, they Israel Israel worshipped Egypt's gods, so they were coming out, and and God kind of has to has to give the law. And I think I actually do want to go to Galatians three real quick because it was really interesting and. Um, as we get into Leviticus, I wonder if Curtis teaches on the law. This is probably a good precursor to the law. So, like Galatians three, I'll just grab a couple things from there right now because it's just really good in referring to the law. And so, there's here's that 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 verse I was talking about, three seventeen. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. So he's saying that the law doesn't annul the covenant um, because the covenant was still there and they were and those, those people were still righteous by faith. And then, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions 
until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been had been made. And there's, he's talking about Jesus. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. By an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. And later down here it says, So then the law was our guardian. This is verse 24. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So God's about to give the law, and Paul says it's because of transgression. And it's because we don't have the covering of Christ, so we have to follow these things in order to be righteous, in a sense, in addition to this covenant. Like we were, the covenant carries on to us, like the covenantal promise that we talked about, the Abrahamic covenant, that will be blessed. Um, but the law, the law was, was given as, as kind of a, uh, in the waiting time, in a sense. I just thought that was really good. So, so this is part of the law. So Israel, had, Israel had, had transgressed while they were in Egypt. They had kind of forgotten the Lord. And, and, they, and they kind of have this spiritual amnesia as they go into the wilderness too. That's why I kind of called it the wilderness rehab program. Because they, they kind of need to be reminded over and over. Like God does wonders for them. And they're like, okay, fine. You know? And then they complain again. And then, you know, but God's teaching them dependence on him. He, brings, he sends you know, manna on the ground in the morning and, qu- and quail meat at night. And, and uh, they, they're only allowed to gather what they can eat for that day. And whatever, uh, whatever extra they gather spoils by the morning. But on the Sabbath, they gather extra and it doesn't go bad. So God's just teaching them like, like you can't do this on your own. Like you, you, need, you need me. And also his heart is that he wants us. And so... Um, so after, after, the, after the Ten Commandments, God speaks again against idolatry. So he, he comes back to it when he talks about altars. And so verse 22, chapter 20, verse 22, And the Lord said to Moses, thus you, thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. As when, you know, as when he talked with them, you know, the law. Uh, you shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for, yourself, for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. So they needed to be reminded how to worship. Because this is like, this, this mode of worship and, and atonement by blood sacrifice was already in practice by, the, by their forefathers. Because, I mean, Abraham, you know, took Isaac to be sacrificed on the mountain, right? And there's so many other times where they build an altar and they offer sacrifice, but the law wasn't given yet. And so they needed to be reminded that this is how you worship. You don't make idols for me. I'm speaking to you. You don't, the, the worship that he wants is not to an image that we can make that's man-made, but it's... Um, he, he wants us to, when, when we worship in spirit and, sh- and in truth, it's vocal. Like, he speaks to us. So he wants us to speak to him, and, and it's, it's a vocal worship. It's not an idol worship that God wants. And, and, the, and the sacrifice is for atonement, and, and it's also a form of worship. But, but we can't leave out singing, because like right as soon as they get, out, get through the Red Sea, there's recorded in Exodus 15 a big old song. And, and like song and dance to the Lord, and that's um, 
like that is honored, and that's still part of our worship, you know? So, also part of this is they were to worship differently from the other nations. This is part of that consecration and holiness that he's calling his people and calling us to as well. So, uh, backing up in Exodus 19, 5-6, he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that ye shall speak to the people of Israel. So, what can we learn from this story? I think I, I, I can kind of identify three steps um, that, that God takes in the, with the Israelites and with us believers. So, I think that in detoxing from Egypt into the wilderness rehab program. I think Egypt symbolizes like sin and and Israel's deliverance from Egypt symbolizes our deliverance from deliverance out of bondage out of the bondage and slavery of sin that that God saves us from. So anyways, step three uh, three steps. Step 1, God saves us out of bondage. So he's as he saved the people of Israel out of bondage through uh, the covering of, of the Passover of the Passover lamb, the symbolism there, the covering of his blood, and uh, that was that was ultimately the plague that got them out of Egypt. Was the was the Passover? Step two, God calls us to holiness, and so we see His call of, to this theme of consecration in the wilderness that we read about. Um, and the call, the call to holiness. And after a believer gets saved as a Christian, we go, we, we go through what we call like the sanctification process. And so that's like the same thing. It's like, yeah, you've been delivered from sin, but that's not it. Like now, I'm calling you to, hold, to be holy um, and to be sanctified. So, and then so step three, we find that God is zealous for our spiritual fidelity. So this kind of, I see this as, this ultimately, I think, culminates in that marriage that's going to happen in heaven where we're united with him in oneness. Um, But he says this right here in the Ten Commandments. He's jealous for us. So, what does he say here? I'm sorry. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Don't be afraid by that, by that verse, like visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children. That's for those who hate God. <laughs> um, that's just, that's just, that's his, that's his righteous anger, but that's not against us who love him and who believe, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So he's jealous for us. And, in, and throughout Scripture, we're called the bride of Christ. Like, he's like a jealous lover for us. So he doesn't want us, anyone else, or any other thing to occupy that space of Lord in our lives. And he also knows that it's for our good that he's the only thing, because he's the only, the only God, the one and only God, who, whose, whose plans for us are good, and he wants to bless us. Um, Ephesians we see this marriage kind of analogy in Ephesians. I'll just read it for you real quick. Uh, Ephesians 5, 31 to 32. 
Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Paul says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So I think that, like, I think we have a hard time understanding, like, applying this idol thing to our lives. Because I don't think, maybe we don't think that, you know, I have a hard time with it. I'm like, we don't have idols, you know? Like, we don't, we don't have things we put in place of God, images that we worship. And, but I think that um, there are ways that we definitely kind of forget and slip into, like, the culture and, and forget that we need to be holy and set apart for the Lord and forget that he needs to occupy that, that one space of worship in our hearts. Because it could be something subtle, like, like you, may, you might worship the God of money or, like, um, success or Taylor Swift, <laughs> or I don't, whatever it be, like, it, it can be so many things. And I think that, uh, I think what we can learn from this story is, is to examine ourselves and really, um, just really make sure that, that we're following that, that first commandment. Because though the, though we're not under the law, like, there are lots of elements of this that still ring true. Um, and also, the, the theme of, like, idol worship and the warnings against it are all throughout the New Testament. Like, the epistles are littered with it. Um, and I didn't pull out all those passages, but I just know from, from reading things that it's like, don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Like, we're warned about that. Which, you're like, how does that apply today? I, it's not in the culture, but, um, but it's still the, the concepts there. And then um, first, first, third John, I'm trying to remember now. But he says, little children, abstain, you know, don't worship idols, like abstain from idolatry. So there's, there's, there's just constant warning against idolatry. Um, and I think that we can, I think we can learn from that because these three steps still apply to the believer today. If I'm going to read this or not. Um, yeah, there was just, I think, kind of on this point, the there was something from gotquestions.org. Have you guys ever been to that website? It's a decent website. Like <laughs> <I> Google questions. <laughs> Sometimes it comes up. And there's usually some, they usually have some really good, like, biblical answers. Um, so this is their kind of like, how Egypt is, like, what does Egypt represent? And so I'll, I'll, I just kind of want to share it. It's, it's a little long, but it's not long. Egypt had, has a tremendous symbolic significance in the Bible. Israel's redemption from Egypt is a picture of our deliverance from sin and death through faith in Jesus Christ. While initially seen as a place of refuge in famine or threat, Egypt becomes a place of oppression and slavery. For, a New Testament, for New Testament believers, Egypt represents our old life of slavery to sin. All people are, by nature, slaves of sin, and Satan is a much harsher taskmaster than the Egyptian overseers. The natural man labors power, powerlessly under the weight of sin, God redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt by the blood of the lamb on the first Passover. 
And he redeems us from sin by the blood of the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Just as God called his people, the Israelites, out of bondage in Egypt, he calls us, his children, to come out and be separate and live holy lives in his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for your word and uh, your Holy Spirit that reveals things. And God, I just help us to live by faith, walking with you, knowing that it's all finished. We can't do anything to atone for ourselves. And you ultimately have paid the biggest price and you've loved us so much to have this plan of salvation set out from from the from the the first from the first sin from the first fall in the garden of eden lord you started planning and so you started planning how you would save us and and you knew that we'd be standing here tonight that we'd be sitting here together worshiping and, and just seeking you and, and trying to figure out this life, Lord. But I pray that you'd order our steps and keep us keep us holy and sanctified before you and just, uh, just ready for your return and ready for ready to to be with you in heaven, Lord. But I pray that you'd give us vision and and uh, continue to give us purpose and and just walk with us in this life. In Jesus' name, Amen.